every American citizen must have an equal right to vote. The administration of elections is primarily a state and local responsibility. Whether you voted for the very first time or waited in line for a very long time, by the way, we have to fix that. Welcome to High Turnout Wide Margins. This is Brianna Lennon. I'm the county clerk in Boone County, Missouri, and with me is my co-host. Eric Fay, Director of Elections in St. Louis County, Missouri. And we are really excited today to have Dustin Zarni, and he's going to be talking to us about everything that happens in New York elections. So we always ask, what got you started in elections in the first place? Like I think all of the other guests have said that nobody went to school for elections specifically or and, and kind of fell into the field. And my story is similar. I actually had a child in high school, so I was unable to take the normal path after high school. I was raising my daughter by myself and working many odd jobs and trying to go to school at night. And politics kind of became like an apprenticeship type of work for me. I, I volunteered on many, many, many losing campaigns. But uh, when I was on those campaigns, I found myself being able to get more and more responsibility. And as I got you know, more experience with politics and, and more involved with the local party, I really gravitated towards GOTV or get out the vote. I didn't want to do uh, messaging. I didn't really want to do advertising. I really didn't want to do fundraising. So I uh, focused on getting people out to vote. And in, in that work, I ended up starting becoming the, the go-to person in the party. Now, all of this is volunteer, by the way, you know, but you're doing it while working, you know, every bad job I could, I could have. Uh, I think I worked at every fast food restaurant known to man, but I was able to uh, work with Mayor Driscoll's election campaign in 2001. It was one of the first or few campaigns that I was on in my early career that won. And I was able to get into city government. I was a collections manager for the law department. And then uh, I worked for DPW for several years. And then I ran the parking ticket bureau. All during that time, I was still continuing my work with campaigns. And because I was doing GOTV, I started working with the Board of Elections a lot. And I became known in the party as the guy that would organize the absentee ballot reviews, the petition reviews, all of these other things to, that would work with the Board of Elections and the staff there on the party end to service the campaigns. Then in uh, 2012, the Elections Commissioner at that time, Ed Ryan announced that he was stepping down. And elections commissioners in New York are appointed by the party in each individual county. But that people think, oh, well, that's like, a, you know, four men in a back room. And that's just not the way it is. We have county committees that are elected offices in the state of New York. Usually in Onondaga County, it's organized by two people in every election district or on the election committee. So we had well over 600, 700 people on the committee, and the committee has a vote to choose who the, the elections commissioner is. So it's like a small village election that you're running. Ran against 
the then minority leader of the Onondaga County Legislature. And I was just Dustin, uh, you know, and but I was able to connect with my party, with the committee members. I, I put forward a vision of a, a reformer because I'd been an advocate for election reform in New York for so long and, uh, and an activist commissioner. And uh, I was able to win my election by a pretty wide margin and uh, it uh, propelled me on to uh, becoming commissioner. And then I immediately upon becoming commissioner, I got involved with the state organization, the New York State Elections Commissioner Association. And in 2014, I became the legislative chair to help reform laws and, uh, and you know, help write a few of the, the changes as well or, or and consult on some of the, the laws that were being bantied about. And at that time, things weren't changing all that much in New York because we had a split uh, legislature, the Senate Republicans and the Assembly Democrats had different visions of what elections should be. So a lot of the changes that we were making were at the margins on small ministerial issues. But in 2017, uh, the then caucus chair decided to retire. I was asked by my caucus to be the Democratic caucus chair for all of New York State. Been in that role along with my day job as elections commissioner in Onondaga County since. What job is more thankless, running elections or running the parking ticket bureau? The parking ticket bureau. I mean, by far. Uh, the, the parking ticket bureau was a nightmare of a job. Like with any job I've ever had, I, I found things that I liked about it. But it was three years of every friend that I ever had in in my life calling me up and asking me if I could get them out of parking tickets and me telling them no. For election administration in New York, how is it structured? Is it what level is in charge of it and how is it set up? Since 1913, we've had bipartisan elections administrations. And uh, how that works is every county has obviously uh, a county party from the major parties. So whichever two parties have the most votes at the governor's elections get to appoint elections commissioners who then hire staff on a bipartisan basis for whatever their budget allows for in that individual county. We have 62 counties in New York State. The five counties in New York City actually work together because it's much different than the rest of the state and how they operate. But the rest of the state have two elections commissioners, one Democrat, one Republican, and uh, they're appointed by their county party and then uh, confirmed by their county legislatures to be elections commissioners for either a two or a four-year term, and that's dependent on whatever that county is set up for. And there are steps along the way to make sure that one party cannot get control over the other party's commissioner or hiring. Like at the county legislature level, after a county party nominates their candidate, the county legislature, if it was dominated by another party, can't reject that. The members of the county legislature of the same party can accept the nomination of an elections commissioner. And they can't remove the elections commissioners as well. The only person uh, that can remove the elections commissioners is after their election every two to four years through their county parties or the governor can do it. Uh, and we saw that kind of play out last year. 
this protects the elections commissioner. And though we are appointed by our party, it gives us a lot of uh, leeway and a lot of ability to do the right thing by the voters. But because there are two of us, we have to agree on just about everything in the office, from polling places to budget to the number of inspectors we put on the ground. And even at the inspector level, we have to keep that bipartisan nature. You have to have an equal number of Democrats and Republicans, which frustrates some people who are not involved in the, in the party system. But it is also a way to have a surety of the results of the elections, because every side of the major parties knows that they have their person at the Board of Elections overseeing things. And I think we've been able to avoid some of the, the nasty contests that we've seen in some of the states that have a, a one party dominating a electoral system, because we have that bipartisan check and the both parties are know that their person is there. In New York City, there are five counties that work together as a single election office for the, uh, the city of New York. And however, those five counties still appoint elections commissioners. But unlike upstate New York, where the elections commissioners are day-to-day -day office workers in the office, work in the office, those 10 elections commissioners meet monthly to set policy. It's kind of an oversight board for the board of elections. And they have an executive director and uh, an assistant executive director that are appointed by the board. And usually, you know, one's Democrat, one's Republican. And those are the people who run the city board of elections on a day-to-day -day basis. But sometimes they don't have the authority to do a lot of, a lot of stuff without the say-so of those 10 New York City commissioners that meet monthly to set policy. And then finally, we have the state board of elections, which kind of makes us unique you know, a lot of other states have bipartisan boards of elections, but they have an overall secretary of state or governor that oversees it. Our model is we actually have a bipartisan state board of elections as well that uh, helps oversee the county boards. And those commissioners, there are four commissioners, they're appointed by the uh, parties in the Senate and Assembly to have equal representation of two Democrats, two Republicans, and they're more like the New York City model, where they meet once a month, and then they have co-executive directors, one Democrat, one Republican, that run the state board that are appointed by the state board commissioners. So one question I have in Missouri and St. Louis and the urban counties, we have the bipartisan election boards, kind of like you all do. I know Ohio has a somewhat similar structure in some regards. It seems like that predominates more in the east than it does in the western part of the country. You know, there's a, there's a lot of debate of the benefit of a bipartisan board. I think when the two folks in charge of a bipartisan board uh, are getting along and have a similar outlook on how to, you know, run the office, I think it can be a really great way to run elections. But if those folks aren't getting along, uh, then maybe things can bog down. And I just wondered, what your thoughts were on just the, the wisdom and the utility of, of a bipartisan election office. Yeah, so I believe the bipartisan model is the best model for running elections. I also am often reminded of the Winston Churchill quote that democracy is the worst form of government, except for every other form of government. And I feel like that way with the bipartisan boards of elections, because 
the benefit is that you do have people from both parties in there and that you have to agree to move forward. But sometimes that can be the detriment as well, especially if there's not a good working relationship. My uh, counterpart and I, we've been in the paper against our each other's policy proposals and, and, and talked about you know, our different ideologies. But when it comes to actually working the physical machinations at the board of elections, we pretty much agree and, and are able to come to agreement on most places. Now, I know a lot of people believe that nonpartisan boards of elections are somehow inherently better because I think there's always a stigma against party politics. Uh, and New York being a very strong party politics place kind of leads to a strong reaction to that sometimes as well. However, I always you know, bring up with nonpartisan boards of elections that you know, someone still has to hire that administrator. And usually it's a, a collection of elected officials. And like in Texas, for example, they, they have a board that hires the administrator and it's usually dominated by you know, a single party is on that board and they're the ones who hire the administrators. And New York is such a weird state because everybody thinks of New York City as New York, this liberal bastion in New York City. But upstate New York, you know, there are parts of upstate New York that might as well be Alabama, you know, in terms of ideology, it, you know, and then we have, you know, moderate counties like myself, mine and others. And, and so you have to meet all these ideologies and, and give everybody the same access to the ballot box. And that's why I believe the bipartisan boards are the best, especially for New York, with such a dichotomy throughout the whole state. From my experience here in St. Louis, and I think a little bit from what I've read about you know, some, some other counties in New York. I think where we run into trouble with this model is when the parties have outsized influence on the hiring, especially of the lower level employees. And they, they tend to hire what I call the friends and family plan. And you don't get the, the best folks in there all the time. And, and so I, I wonder if you've ever thought much about that, or if there are any ways to kind of I mean, maybe you don't think that's an issue, um, but if, if you do, I was wondering if you had any ideas on how to how to insulate bipartisan election offices from outsized uh, influence on hiring. Yes, it's an issue, and but it's it's been an issue in every government office I've ever held. You know that that's a you know a problem with any government office, especially any controlled by elected officials or uh, you know, commissioners. Now in New York, the commissioners have final say over who they hire, so they can resist the party. But of course they're up for election every two to four years. So what I've tried to do in my situation, I've been very lucky, my party has not tried to dictate to me, but I've had an open working relationship with them explaining things. I've even had open hiring processes where I take a lot of um, resumes in. I think by being transparent, commissioners can can help themselves out a lot. I, I think the one of the things that I've been advocating with the New York State Legislature is to make all commissioners four-year terms instead of two-year terms. We really have a four-year election cycle in New York. You have your presidential year, then your off year, which is usually your big mayor year in, a, in one of the cities, and then you have uh, governor's year, and then you have like this countywide office year. You know, at least in the Onondaga, that's how it works. 
you really need four years to learn what it's like to be a commissioner and to know what each different election is like. And if we had four-year commissioner terms, they wouldn't always be worried about the next time they have to be nominated. They could do the right thing for the party. I also believe that the State Board of Elections should have more power to discipline and even remove non-compliant commissioners and have the commissioners more answering to the state board as opposed to their county parties that may or may not understand what election law actually calls for now and things have been changing and, and allow the county commissioners a little bit more um, independence. But that being said, there's a lot written into New York election law that make county commissioners independent. County commissioners need to assert that. Uh, and I think for the most part they do, but then there's always those examples that get into the media that make all of us look bad. I think that's one of the more unpopular opinions among local election officials is that somebody wants more oversight over them. And I think you probably have a unique perspective considering your geographical proximity to New York 22. And so if you want to go into what happened in Oneida County, because it wasn't just, I mean, 22 is not just Oneida County, but Oneida County was the one that really ended up being the crux of the issue for that election. Right. So for those who, you know, are listening to this podcast and don't remember this, we had a very close congressional race between Anthony Berninci and Claudia Tenney. New York 22 is made up of eight county boards. I'm not in that, but I am the neighbor and I'm in the major media market that is next to it. So when the troubles happened after election day in New York 22, it's uh, caucus year. I, I got a lot of calls as well. But the biggest problems, you know, that we had outside of the Nido County Board in New York 22 were really pandemic related and resource related issues where a large amount of absentee ballots came in way more, and, and I'm not even talking a little bit more, I'm talking about uh, a 500 to 1,000% increase in absentee ballots than we normally have in New York was in the 2020 election because we opened up absentee ballots to basically no excuse. They could use COVID as an excuse. We went from 3% of the population using it to like 25% of the population. Um, and that uh, caused a lot of issues in our post-election canvas because What's unique to New York is we count absentee ballots after election day because you can go to the polls on election day and vote if you submitted an absentee ballot and we have to pull it. So we can't even start counting them until seven to 14 days after election day. And these smaller boards that had like four members, five members, six members of, you know, they were just overwhelmed and they were trying to deal with it under court supervision. So it's a lot of the small mistakes that were brought up you know, inspectors make mistakes, and but you have your ballot accountability and you know where the mistake is, so you go and find and find out where the, that was. That Those are things that usually aren't in the limelight and you deal with in your post-election canvas. The biggest problem we had with it was the Oneida County Board, and they had two different problems. Uh, the first problem was in 2019, New York State enacted a uh, portability of registration. Uh, it used to be that if you were, you had a register in the county that you were registered in, and if you weren't registered in that county, even if you voted by affidavit, 
you would have that affidavit thrown out. We made it in 2019 that if you registered anywhere in New York State and you voted by affidavit in another county, you would port that registration up and that affidavit would count. And it turned out the United County Board for two years wasn't keeping up with that law. Uh, and, and we found out about that through the court process. So that was hundreds of affidavit ballots that were rejected because they had a college in there in the in you know a couple of colleges in Oneida County. And that's where you know college students port their registration up, especially in presidential years. But what the biggest problem we saw was it during the court process, almost kind of as a an aside at one point, we found out that almost 3,000 voter registrations that were timely submitted were not processed by the Oneida County Board of Elections. And that wasn't found out until well over a month after election day. And it really threw the whole process, you know, into uh, chaos. That was a huge no-no. <laughs> you know, that's not something that elections commissioners ever do. I mean, that is one of the things where we work 12, 14 hour days and to get done with these registrations before election day, because if somebody's not in the book, if they're not registered and they show up, maybe they'll do an affidavit ballot, but a lot of times they just leave, you know? And so there's a lot of people that we don't know who could have voted if they left, because that's not something that we know. So they went through and processed those registrations, applied those to the affidavit ballots, found a couple hundred more uh, affidavit ballots that were supposed to count. And you know, in a race that was decided by 160 or so votes, that's important. <laughs> Unfortunately, those commissioners uh, had to resign after the election, after a lot of uproar over that. Um, that did show, you know, some problems in our oversight. Not so much the issues of the individual commissioners making decisions not to, to process those. That happens on a county level. But in the post-election world, we saw that you know, when this problem arrived, the State Board of Elections really didn't have the power to remove these, these commissioners for cause. Only the governor could do it, and the governor was deciding not to deal with it at that point. And uh, that, that has, in my opinion, raised up a big problem with our system of checks and balances in New York and giving the State Board the authority to discipline and remove county commissioners is important, in my opinion. It's important for the public that, to know that that oversight is there, you know, and, but it can't come without a carrot. The stick can't come without a carrot, too. You know, you got to give the proper resources to the boards. They're, you know, our boards are underfunded in New York, but a lot of times our funding is coming from our county legislatures who, because we're independent from them, kind of see us as the bastard stepchild of county government and give us as little resources as possible. And in New York 22, we saw that these small micro boards didn't get the resources they need to keep up with all the election reforms that the state legislature has put into place. So we need those resources. We need minimum staffing levels and statewide training. And then yes, uh, you know, some kind of uh, uh, disciplinary removal system in my opinion. So, Dustin, what, if anything, came of, of that issue in that congressional race? I mean, explained it. one thing that other people have explained to me about election law in New York State is this issue with the, the absentee ballots and how you have to wait till after the election and pull them out. There are politicians locally here in St. Louis that I don't hear from unless it's election night. And all they care about is getting the results. They want those right away. 
am surprised that the political class of New York State has put up with this system of these like delayed election results. Again, so what if anything is coming from you know what happened in that case? On the ballot this year in New York will be no fault absentee ballots. That's a constitutional amendment. This actually started in 2019, but because as I said, New York has a glacial pace of uh, election law changes and especially constitutional changes. This cannot be enacted until it's voted on by the voters. And this is the first year that that can happen. It had a, it's a three-year window. Uh, so the, if no-fault absentees is passed, and then there is another election law that is on the governor's desk. So one of our governors is going to have to sign that sometime soon. But next year, we will start counting absentees before election day. The old system of allowing people to go to the polls and vote even if they submitted an absentee is gonna go away. The onerous objection system that happens in, in the post-election process is basically gonna go away. It's gonna give more power to the boards of elections to count these uh, absentee ballots uh, with the bipartisan structure in place. We're gonna to have to canvas those ballots and make sure that they're good within four days of receiving a ballot. And then there's a cure process if there's a problem with the ballot that you know it has to go through. And then about uh, 10 days before the election, we'll start being able to scan the ballots in, but it will be sequestered, just like we sequester the early vote processes. Uh, we will be able to start scanning the ballots in. And so for the first time in New York history, we'll be able to have absentee ballots reported on election night. Not all of them. There will still be some because ballots can come in up to seven days in the primary and 14 days and in general after election day. And there are some breaks in this law that says basically during the early voting period, you know, anything that comes in gets scanned in on that Monday. But anything that comes in on the Monday and Tuesday of election, we have to wait until after the voter history comes in from election day you know, we don't want anybody being able to vote twice. So there are some breaks along the way. But for the large part, I think 90% of uh, the absentee population will be counted before election day. And with no fault absentees, I think we will see even more people using absentee ballots, especially since they know that their ballots will be counted in part of the election night results. New York did not have a lot of absentee ballots before 2020, uh, you know, because it was an excuse-based system. So while the delayed election results happened every year, it only happened for a few races that were within that absentee ballot margin. The other people pretty much knew on election night. 2020 was the first year where the majority of races didn't know what their results were until after weeks after the election. And I think that's what got the legislature to make this change. What is your prognostication for how things are going to go in 2022? Well, I believe that we live in a perilous time for elections in America. From the audits that we see happening or trying to happen in other states, definitely the Arizona thing, uh, the tenor that it has gone around questioning a validity of certain forms of voting, like absentee and early voting, as opposed to election day. And you, all of these things have come out without merit. Uh, and there are fine election administrators on both sides of the aisle, on all sides of the aisle, uh, in all states that are just trying to do their job. And the public needs to 
understand that there are so many checks and balances. There are so many double checks. There are so many ways to make sure that an election is run properly that you need to have patience when working with your boards of elections. Know what the, the limitations of those boards are and also know that, uh, you know, that there are people and verifiable results uh, within the system. And I hope that we can get back to a point where we have campaigns about the ideologies of those campaigns and the merits of the candidates and not the validity of the results themselves and let the results speak for themselves. That is the thing that I'm worried about. I saw the insurrection happen uh, in real time with everybody else. And, you know, I brought this up to my member of Congress, who's an opposite party here, who met with us at the board. But I really am worried about these types of violent situations happening at individual boards of elections, as opposed to the Capitol. Because we see, when you question the validity of results of an election without merit, and there is no way to disprove that because the merits aren't there to begin with, then it leads to more violent reactions from people who feel that they've been cheated. This is a dangerous situation for election administrators and staffs of elections and inspectors at polling places. So I would ask people to start dialing down the rhetoric on the validity of elections and start going back to campaigning on the ideologies and the merits of the candidates themselves. I want to thank everybody for listening to High Turnout, Wide Margins again. Big thanks to Dustin Zarni from Syracuse, New York, for being our guest today. We hope you enjoyed it. We hope you tune in next time to High Turnout, Wide Margins.